We should be recording all of these. We really should be recording all of these. And on that note, hello and welcome to another episode of the Psychosocial Distancing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Chadbourne. With me, as always, is Thomas Brooks. Hello, hello. And um, yeah, I, I really don't know how to transition we from that, that introduction. Deep in yeah. <laughs> We've been contemplating deep things about refried beans. So, um, and discussing that we should probably record those uh, ahead of time because they would be hilarious to go back and listen to. You could a little bonus to throw out there us <laughs> rambling about refried beans for. Right. We're now a cooking. <laughs> we're now a cooking podcast. Uh, I mean, we might as well be. <laughs> yeah. So, what do we've got on the plate today? Well, maybe this is a good a good transition from our last two discussions. So, we talked a little bit about burnout and some like questions about solutions to dealing with burnout and rejection. Uh, we, we talked about kind of how to fix the system a little bit, maybe. Not really, I mean, yeah. we as best as best we can muse. Um, and now I guess we're going to delve into that, you know, kind of both sides of that a little bit about rejection, but not just any rejection, retractions. Um, and, Ultimate rejection. Yeah, I mean, avoidable rejection in this case, but. But part of the system, right. part of that, that system of why do people engage in this kind of research fraud and fabrication and plagiarism, a lot of it is to avoid those rejections. A lot of it is, is to exist and continue to exist within the system that promotes a publish or perish um, environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, at least for today, because this is our third retraction watch review for the month of April, and uh, mine is not terribly controversial. Like, I think there should have been, and I think this is a, maybe like a peer review oversight issue mm-hmm. rather than like a there's good guys and bad guys in this situation. Like, at least in my story, it seems like there's going to be a positive ending if if everything goes well. Um, I was, I I picked an uplifting one despite the topic being rather grim. Um, I didn't. (laughs) There's, (laughs) there is a definite bad guy. Um, it, It is not a happy ending. I mean, Maybe we could say that some of the outcomes have been moving in a more positive direction, but like the positive direction is solely born out of terrible behavior. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, on there, there was my, my alternative one for this week was I, I did come across one that was um, if you're basically if your paper's not in English you probably can't get it published and and talking about the issues of having like a sole language um, that, uh, you know, if, if it's not in English, it's perish, not publish. And, and the problems associated mm-hmm. with, with some of that, because it seems that most of the markets are in English 
most of the journals are publishing in English and to hell with you if you're not doing it. But I found one that was more depressing mm-hmm. than that. <laughs> I will say to start us off on a lighter note, I would like to congratulate both of our researchers from last month uh, on not making it into this month. Uh, oh, did yours make it in? Yep. Under the wire. Oh got, no. Yeah. We got an, we got an update that just, just an update that the BJSM, uh, the British medical journal, uh, or the British Journal of Sports Medicine, sorry, BJSM, um, is investigating a number of other of Dr. Paul McCrory's papers while he was Damn. a, yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, the, the original paper was that by, sucks. by their research team defined as unlawful and indefensible breach of copyright. And um, there was unlawful. Yeah. And then there was also this, um, which ties into some of the work that he did with concussion research in the Australian Football League, that apparently the AFL, I'll just kind of read the, the introduction, a study on concussion that purported to show that the AFL was safely returning players to the game is claimed to have excluded almost 40% of concussions in the relative period or the relevant period. What? So they did this study showing that like the AFL was actually like handling concussions of their players well. But they excluded um it says players who retired from concussion study were excluded from their landmark study. So 40% were excluded from the in <laughs> from the results. Mm. That's handy. Yeah. 61 cases dumped. And from the 2009 study that was done, the guy who did the study um, is now their chief medical officer. Oh. That's a big yikes. That, kids, that kids is why you should always remember meritocracy is bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah this this kind of ties have... into one of the ones that i talked about i think last week with the guy who brought up a lot of those issues but yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> I, had a, I had a bit a little uh-oh moment in my class this last month because i didn't realize that i had assigned a damien jacob sendler article Oh boy. to my human sexuality class <laughs> to be fair it was assigned back in like december and it was a great opportunity to talk to my students about retraction watch and how to pay attention to institutions that are listed and how to pick out stuff in articles that don't seem right so i think overall we had a surprisingly different conversation than i had intended about zoo files um <laughs> but <clears throat> to be fair though um the article i did choose was a social media data harvesting study oh so there were no participants he kept saying our participants and i'm like you didn't have participants you have an archive yeah so language was weird and i pointed that out to him but overall i thought it was we read through it they thought it was a cool paper and um we got to talk about 
retractions and stuff like that. So it was highly educational, but I've had a big like, ooh, I know who that is. We're reading this like the week after we recorded Retraction Watch. <laughs> ooh, man. That's a good one. I mean, it's a good lesson. Good thing to talk about. Good lesson. Always check your uh, seminar reading list against Retraction Watch. <laughs> yeah. So, so should we? But I would like to congratulate Dr. Sendler on not making it this month. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no promises. With, I thought uh, he was going to, but he pulled. Yeah. Yeah. So, all that to say, let's get into our new baddies. Should we start on a high note? We can. We can start on a high note. Know because I feel like we're spending some time throwing tomatoes at Columbia in a minute. So, Columbia's our favorite in institution in the country. Yep. So, I've got a weird one out of Turkey. It okay. is the article Effect of Care Program Based on Comfort Therapy on Reducing Parental Anxiety in the Pediatric Day Surgery colon, Randomized Controlled Trial which appeared last July in the Journal of Clinical Nursing. I will not attempt to pronounce the author's last names, um, but I don't think they're bad people. Like, I think there's a bit of a confusion here. And so the, the retraction occurred for a couple reasons, and it was based off of a reader submitting a concern to the journal. Basically, this boiled down to there was confusion about the sampling procedures, confusion about whether or not this was a study, a control trial that had a uh, pre-registration uh, or not. And lastly, there was a bit of a vocabulary confusion uh, in terms of what exactly a pediatric day surgery is, which as it turns out, is a surgery for male circumcision in boys between the ages of four and seven. Okay. Which probably should have been said in the abstract, but was not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I could, I could imagine that there might be like a number of procedures that could be done as like this quote unquote day surgery. But in this mm -hmm. case, all of them were very specific. Yes. And obviously that gives us reason to believe getting circumcised while conscious. <laughs> I can see why they would want to reduce... And with a sense of self at that point. <laughs> I can see why they'd want to reduce some of the parental anxiety. Like... Maybe, mm -hmm. yeah. So... Overall, it, this seems like a pretty watered down retraction, at least from my opinion. So there was confusion with regards to the pre-registration. So the pre-they were supposed to be pre-registered, but according to the author who was interviewed by Retraction Watch for this, um, that when the she said, "quote When the registration number was obtained, the first participants had been included, but the data collection process was not complete. The thesis study was performed within the framework of ethical principles. For this reason, there was no infringement related to reportings of findings." And so, 
basically the big question here was like, why did you, why were you collecting participants with an active study while in the process of pre-registering the study as a part of somebody's thesis? And so there was a bit of a confusion about what that timeline was. I, you know, obviously it's important to do your pre-reg before you collect your data. Um, but this seems fairly mild in terms of other stuff that we've read about. Like they're not creating a fake institution or plagiarizing or like right. there seems to be a timeline mishap. This looks like it's a study that already existed that they were like, oh, wait, we need to pre-register this real quick. And so there's some questions about timeline there that didn't add up. Um, in terms of the participants and the sample size, uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Oh, there's also a question about the exclusion criteria. I forgot about that. That one was a little odd. I'm not quite sure. I'm confused by both what they wrote and their response to it and why the journal decided to drop it. But it had something to do with like parsing apart an anxiety disorder versus the anxiety of the parents in the state. Um, like state versus trade anxiety was kind of a exclusionary criteria it looks like that wasn't spelled out appropriately in the article, I think. And then the last one is that they looks like there was questions about the sample size and how they got that number and to which the author quoted saying that they used G power in order to get a 0.6 effect size, 5% error, 9% confidence interval. They needed, let's see, 49 participants in each sample. So they shot for 120. So that seems to be just a miscommunication within the study itself. And so basically, it looks like there was a lot, there was a lack of clarity in the reporting of what was going on that should have been caught in peer review is the sense that I'm getting. Um, it looks like they will be pushing for a, uh, let's see, they'll be pushing for an update to the article so it won't stay retracted that they're actually going to do a revision. Um, and they'll put out the clarification about the article. So it doesn't look like we're in like deep mud here. Yeah. Um, when Retraction Watch talked with uh, Mark Hader, the editor-in-chief of the journal, they asked if it was a problem uh, that should have been identified prior to publication. He didn't respond directly to that question, but said, quote, we have made changes to our process and this work is ongoing. And then we followed up about the peer review and he said, quote, the retraction statement covers the journal's position. So, uh, let's see. Yeah, so it looks like there was just, it looks like it was an internal system problem that caught everybody to resubmit this with a uh, correction added to it to clarify what went wrong in the communication. So not all retractions are bad retractions. <laughs> It yeah, seems, yeah. I mean, unless more information comes out and this whole thing is <laughs> faked, but um, doesn't look like that's the case. Looks like they also didn't report all of their outcome variables. Um, so like, there's just some like weird reporting stuff here that hasn't like gotten us into the red zone, but is kind of like 
uh, eh, maybe we should pull it kind of situation just to be safe. So that that's my story. I figured there was a lot of controversial and weird stuff going on that was like outside of what I knew about. Like there was some sort of nanotech story that was going around mm-hmm. and ivermectin nonsense and like a conference that plagiarized an entirely other conference that i, I didn't saw that one that was wild too <laughs> i was like how do you plagiarize an entire conference <laughs> i'd like to see if we could get there's um there are these buzzfeed journalists who did some like deep diving into this big ivermectin paper and i'd love to see if we could maybe like try to talk to them and their process of like sleuthing and like some of the issues because that one was there were a lot of problems like mm-hmm. like we got this hospital on board and nothing went through the hospital and then they were like oh but we meant by this hospital is we meant we recruited people who work at that hospital it was and that's like the tip of the iceberg on that one but mm. so all that to say is I went easy, grabbed something that looks like it's just a confusion and miscommunication between people. Um, another thing that it could also be, so like, so this is something for people who are interested in writing journal articles, is I've run into two problems through writing for major publications. Um, the first time around, the preprint was the draft of the article prior to peer review. So... Like we submitted a draft, we did one round of revisions, we did a second round of revisions through peer review, we did the third round of revisions through peer review, and then we did the uh, like line editing from the editor. And then the preprint was the first manuscript that went into the process without contributions from the peer reviewers, my revisions, or the editor's changes. So always check your preprint. Yeah. (laughs) The second thing I noticed happened this week. I was going through and doing the line editing and I had like 60 things to address and I was going through and it was like, please include the DOI or URL for the source. And so I scrolled down and there was the DOI URL for the source. And so I copied it and put it in the comment box and I was like, it's already here. Or they'd be like, hey, do you mean so-and-so at all 2015 for this citation because it was still a APA 6 citation that I didn't catch and I was like yes and then a little bit later on it was like hey this exact same citation doesn't appear in your paper do you want to keep it and I was like you just told me to fix the one in the paper this is the corresponding reference what's happening here or asking for page numbers for like tv show episodes um weird stuff and i think it's all computer stuff so like watch your manuscripts like a hawk as they're going through this process because even if there isn't like a human to human miscommunication like what occurred here like sometimes there's a computer to human miscommunication that totally messes up your article after it's already approved yeah yeah this this sounds especially with the the article you talked about sounds a lot uh like a situation where like this could have probably been addressed on the peer review end if the peer review mm-hmm. system were working as it should have been working. Mm-hmm. 
that and after it gets out of that system you still have to watch it because it might get miscommunicated afterwards too so like the computers might have caught it it might have gotten fixed this could have been that first draft yeah i don't think that's the case because of uh authors responding and wanting to do an update but yeah i was like it's a scary world out there publishing you make Mm -hmm. it through the humans and you have to put up with the robots right so all that to say is I wish them the best and I hope they get their republication of their retraction because it seems like a cool study. Um, anything to do with controversial topics like circumcising your seven-year-old, I'm down for publishing. I'm, I'm just going to nod. Smile <laughs> and nod. Smile and nod. <laughs> so I'll get the tomatoes. What's your retraction story? Well, mine I chose because I want to bring a good, I want to bring the question up as to these really egregious cases. So when they're not something like this, so this seems to be something that like was published, seems to be a pretty quick turnaround, right? Like they caught it early, they fixed it. That mm-hmm. to me is probably the more maybe maybe quasi mainstream when there is an issue with the paper or something like that or something minor but all too often i see these situations where you have famous cases popular people long standing historical figures psychology got hit with this with a bunch of stuff from um who's it isink had a bunch of stuff pulled because of like a lot of his like personality you know shows genetic deficiencies in certain races kind of (laughs) stuff and it's like this stuff just sits these are famous people or well-known people they're part of this establishment they're part of this system and they're abusing the system and so when they do something bad they're not disincentivized to do it because they don't get caught and in this case, like the guy was a, a popular name in history research, popular enough in his topic because it was a niche topic. In this case, North Korea. Oh, that people read his work and went, wait a second. <laughs> and it goes back to Cornell University Press published his book in 2013. It did not withdraw it from its publication catalog until 2019. So we've got, what is that, five years, six years, six years on the market. It's still on Amazon. It's not Mm -hmm. only still on Amazon, but it's on Amazon with all of the wonderful editorial reviews that include things like, so the author is Charles K. Armstrong, former professor at uh columbia right <laughs> double check columbia yeah it's columbia <laughs> um i just i wanted to i wanted to make sure it wasn't cornell but cornell is, is the publishing house for this so i don't necessarily blame them though it did take them a while to remove it i was about um, to say that's a lot of uh i'm sure a lot of uh money for that author as it was continuously getting purchased 
Yes. So, like, Armstrong examines the competition for legitimacy between the two Koreas during the Cold War. The result is a superb example of international history that makes use of multiple archives. Uh, that's uh, Andrew Nathan, Foreign Affairs. Uh, Kevin Kim, Journal of American East Asian Relations, states the tyranny of the weak, which is the name of his book, is an indispensable account for anyone seeking to comprehend how one of the world's most weak, misunderstood nations boldly continues to define and demand its international commitments. Um, Charles uh, Glenn Ford from Chartist says Charles Armstrong has done it again. Tyranny of the weak uses state archives of those very same failed states to explore the history of North Korean foreign policy. He did it again. It's just amazing work. Um, it's a welcome addition to the literature on North Korea and broader history. The book contains not only, I'm going to read to a couple. Uh, uh, the book contains not only an informed account of how this weak country tyrannized uh, big powers, but also a detailed analysis of what enabled it to do so. Uh, this new book describes the history of its government international relations and so on and so forth. This vivid and cogent book asks how the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, poor, stagnant, and isolated, has continually been able to play an international, um, to play international allies. Verdict? Read it. And so, all this wonderful Honestly, stuff. I don't even <laughs> want to read it. It sounds like neoliberal war hawkish garbage already. Like, I would expect my grandfather to have this book on his shelf now next to his, like, Bill O'Reilly memoir. <laughs> yeah. So, um, if you do scroll down to the reviews, top-rated educated consumer review reports um, that, um, quote, this is from the Columbia Spectator, 12th of September, 2019, history professor Charles Armstrong cited non-existent or irrelevant sources in at least 61 instances in his 2016 book, Tyranny of the Week, North Korea and the World. And the 2016 version was the updated and revised version. Ooh. Yes, according to the findings of an investigation by the University Standing Committee on the Conduct of Research. He announced he was on sabbatical from 2019 to 2020, and then he bounced in 2020. Um, apparently, it is a largely unattributed rewording of Bala's uh, Salontai's book, Kim Il-sung in the Khrushchev era from 2005. Armstrong was awarded the Fairbank Prize for his paraphrase, but today he voluntarily returned it. Uh, he did return his prize in 2017 as part of the admission to plagiarism. Um, in the process of plagiarizing or paraphrasing the entire other person's book, he introduced dozens of errors. If you want to read a factual account, um, it's uh, S-Z-A-L-O-N-T-A-I. Um, Zalanti's, uh, Zalanti's book would probably be a better choice. So you could still go buy it on Amazon. It's still widely, you know, because Amazon's got to sell its backstock of all this guy's books. Right. Um, but we're talking like this thing was pulled off of Cornell's book list in 2019. He was hit with plagiarism in like 2015, 
2016? 2017 is when he returned the prize because he had received um, the John King Fairbank Prize for American Historical Association for his book. <laughs> um, he was a well-regarded faculty member at Columbia. Um, and it was a trusted person in the realm of North Korean foreign policy. <laughs> um, but who? It's, uh, yeah. My question, though, with this is like, the, the book was first published in 2013. Um, so he published in 2003, he published a book called The North Korean Revolution. In 2006, he published a book called The Koreas. And then in 2013, he published Tyranny of the Week. And in 2017, it was sort of a first edition reprint, reprinted with mm -hmm. corrections. But that was also the year he got busted for plagiarism. It still took another two years for them to retract it off of their book list because they wanted to get money for it. And I'm sure he made a decent amount of money because he's one of the he's noted uh, authors on North Korea. And mm -hmm. so we have this sort of system that basically allows someone to paraphrase, make repeated factual errors regarding um, one of like the preeminent books on a country and its foreign policy. And he gets to coast on that for six years before anything mm -hmm. officially is done. Um, in addition to that, like his his kind of like wikipedia page of like articles and book chapters edited volumes and textbooks working papers is um let's see three books two edited volumes two three four five articles and book chapters two working papers interesting that seems short yeah so i I'm wondering if maybe like his full vita is a little longer <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, or just for the fact that like a lot of his work is on in each country which probably isn't very easy to get a lot of like primary sources for and so maybe it's understood that he's he's going to publish a little slower on North Korean history than mm -hmm. and other. it's probably going to be mostly books that are going to take him a couple yeah. of years in between to write so maybe not that weird yeah, he's also a Fulbright scholar. Um, I mean, this goes back to like his early stuff. Uh, Fulbright grants, German Academic Exchange grant. Uh, he was a fellow at the Institute for Scholars at Reed Hall in Paris. He was a Toyota fellow at Seoul, uh, or Seoul National University. Um, and in, in 2014, he won the, the John King Fairbank Prize from the American Historical Association, but returned it in 2017. Mm. But yeah, it's I mean, it's stuff like this when people like hand ring about like, oh no, expertise is dead. Nobody takes expertise seriously. And I'm like, where are you living? Like right. you only exist in like undergraduate classrooms. Like the stuff is super common. Yeah. Like, why do you why do you think? And I think I would hope extend your these people are in the system and they're exploiting the system i would flip that and say that this is how the system works right like right. it's not no exactly it's a feature 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. This is why we have the system to prop up idiots like this. Right, because he's pulling in grant money and he is a prestigious individual, which I like. I, I'm not going to say anything about his previous work. His previous work might be fine, but mm-hmm. it also makes me question all of his previous work because you don't go from writing a legitimate book on your own to I'm going to basically paraphrase this person's entire book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I look at this and I'm just like, of of course, like, especially with such a gimmicky title, like, like tyranny of the week, like, come on now. Like you're just begging to be like put into turnitin.com. Like (laughs) I know exactly who your target audience is. And uh, I'm not impressed. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the the there was a journalist who looked into it. Columbia's investigation concluded that in, in 2019, January 2019, and its scope of this investigation extended back to his tenure file from 20, 2003. Um, that his Ooh, ten, okay. that tenure file included draft chapters of what would ultimately become his book, uh, Tyranny of the Week. So like 10 years later, um, according to uh, Salantai, Zalantai, uh, who obtained a copy of the investigation, it found that evidence uh, in the tenure file that he had plagiarized uh, their dissertation. That's where it came from. Um, Mm. Yeah, so... It was obvious. Um, he also had a 2005 article, Fraternal Socialism, the International Reconstruction of North Korea, 1953 to 1962, which was published in the journal Cold War History, was also retracted for plagiarizing the same person's book. Slash dissertation. Damn. And that was retracted in 2020. So... 15 hmm. years later so much like paul McCreary, mccrory we're dealing with like stuff 15 years later they're finally getting caught um and, and maybe that is part of a byproduct like academia runs slow maybe this mm-hmm. is a byproduct of our much more digital age it is much easier to catch plagiarism now than it was 15 years ago um i would right. argue it was next to impossible to catch plagiarism 20 30 40 years ago because you just didn't have you had to have been someone who like read both books and sat down and went, wait a second, <laughs> this mm-hmm. is really similar. And to actually take the time to do that. And it would have been even more difficult to compile all that work and like go up against a very prominent person in the field, um, mm-hmm. which is just easier to do now. Uh, Right. And now maybe that's, there's like a technological shift here. Cause like my first story, like they got through, they got it published, questions were raised, it got retracted. Now they're doing an update to address those questions. Right. Right. So like that's a very quick turnaround. Whereas this stuff came out years ago. And unless you are suspicious or are concerned or see something weird, then we don't like I don't have a reason to plug like Sigmund Freud into turnitin.com you know what I mean right 
Right. I don't go, hmm, I think Sigmund here was like a chronic plagiarizer. Yeah. And so I like, you know, plug uh, like his essays on like libido into turnitin.com to see if like he was actually plagiarizing Nietzsche or something. So. <laughs> yeah, they, um, Zalantai uh, is is one of the, the people who really asserted um, this this argument to start with and and the criticism started in 2016 so his book had been on the market for three years um Mm -hmm. and they found 90 problematic cases that they they actually put together a, a table of all the issues with that um the allegations were made public he responded that he did not comment on any specific issues that it, that that he, he was not going to comment on it, but in, a year later returned the prize that he had won, and then um, not long after that, Columbia came back with the uh, we have investigated him, and it turns out yes, he is a serial plagiarist, um, or at least he's 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 a plagiarist uh, with this one work. Uh, I mean, once as an instance, twice as a hobby. Yeah, he said that that he had submitted 52 corrections to the publisher, and that was in the 2017 reprint. Okay. Um, but it seems that like not long after that, they pulled the book, and he is no longer Stuff teaching. Up. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least they can do something right. They'll sue their grad students. They'll change building names, but at least they'll let go of a. Uh, plagiarizer when they have to yeah because they didn't let him go for the other thing the other thing the sexual assault allegations huzzah because mine can't end on a positive note um apparently it gets worse at about the same time he published the book in 2014 that summer, it was he was part of a, a, a professors and a group of students who were part of a global scholars course called Socialist and Post-Socialist Cities in Eurasia, which culminated in a trip to Berlin, Moscow, Ulaanbaatar, and finally Beijing. And one student, Julie Moon, um, decided to return home early because she was uncomfortable with um another student this guy paul nussinger who was deemed by columbia university to not be responsible for the assault of another student despite a police report and a bunch of other stuff um but this guy joined um uh, the global scholars trip to berlin um, and Moon made plans to leave the Beijing stretch of the program early because she was just not, she'd heard about the guy, the guy made her uncomfortable, she was not going to be a part of it. Um, but on the last night of the trip, her and the other students were drinking with Charles Armstrong and uh, another professor, uh, uh, Catherine, uh, Dr. Catherine uh, Nepomniatsky probably butchering her last name um but apparently armstrong forcibly grabbed her and kissed her 
he asked her to be his research assistant on a book he was writing and coerced her into sex. Well, damn. And so, um, Cornell, I'm uh, not Cornell. I don't want to, I don't want to th- rope Cornell into this. They were the publisher. Uh, <laughs> Columbia. <laughs> um, Columbia. Columbia basically put like the Title IX rep, put her under the microscope, um, tried to kind of confirm that it was an assault. And ultimately, they argued that he did not engage in assault, that despite the fact that she was drunk and could not consent, it wasn't. But he admits it happened. But he admits that it was consensual. Mm-hmm. Um, with his student. Right. And uh, apparently that's what he got busted for. So in addition to retiring early after being found guilty of plagiarism, um, no longer under Columbia's jurisdiction, he never faced any consequences for her harassment, which also included repeated texts and comments and attempts to contact her from 2014 on. He was found guilty of harassment and guilty of violating their code of conduct regarding um, relationships with students. Mm. Um, She actually continued to complain, uh, but it was dismissed and she appealed the decision, but was denied. Sort of the idea that Columbia went like, he's no longer a professor here, so we have no power over him. Good luck. And it's, yeah. So while- when did, so- Oh. To clarify, A, he retired, and B, what is the timeline of his retirement as compared to the pulling of the book? Uh, his retirement was, so in 2017, he got kind of hit with the charges. Um, I think it was 2019, they officially pulled the book. And then he retired in 2020. Oh, damn. Okay. So, like, he got, he, got hit, Beijing... he got hit with, Yeah. Oh, he, this was the like Beijing thing happened in 2014. Yes. yes. Oh, but but it wasn't reported until um, 2020. Oh, okay. So she didn't report it until yes, like yeah. She six she kind years of later. Yeah, she kept she kept silent for a number of years, um, despite the fact that it says like after the, this 2014 program ended, um, he sent her inappropriate texts and emails, which she ignored. And she stayed silent about what had occurred. But um, it was sort of like, uh, she says, uh, this is a quote from her, for many years I didn't think that he had assaulted me because I didn't have any memory of it. And I know um, that he did this stuff or that that inappropriate behaviors happened. Uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing some of the the stuff to make us a little less explicit than we already are. Um, And and uh, she says that, and I had that memory uh, of being in bed, um, but I didn't know if that would be considered harassment or assault, and I didn't know if the university would distinguish it. So she was very cognizant that the university might not do anything because part of the reason she wanted to leave this trip early was because of the student who, prior to this trip, the university was like, nah, that was totally not assault. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. Um, 
Yeah, she was also an international student. She said that she feared coming forward would jeopardize her uh, student-sponsored, uh, her Columbia-sponsored student visa. But she mm-hmm. finally filed a complaint in January 2020. And in June 2020, he like uh, he resigned, right? June oh, okay. Um, yeah, June 2020, he, he officially resigned from this position. Um, he resigned and retired. So he's on retirement now? He's gone. Yeah, he is. He is. He is out of Colombia. Um, yeah, he left Colombia in June 2020. He went on a um, sabbatical 19 to 20 and then left. Mm. Yeah. Well, that was uplifting. Yeah, sorry about that. Not really. <laughs> um, but I, she's... Uh... She's actually started a uh, a program. This is actually from the article I got. It's it's uh, Julie Moon's professor face no consequences. Uh, now she's supporting other survivors of assault in their search for justice, and so she's kind of made it a. This was a year later. This is September twenty twenty one, year and a half later. Mm. Uh, and um, yeah, this is this is the quote. This is her quote from the very first step. Columbia made the message clear. It was their reputation and not my safety at stake. Mm-hmm. Which, oh, <laughs> Julie Moon spoke these words last spring during the rally for the, quote, graduate workers of Columbia United Auto Workers student strike. There it is. <laughs> I've run it all together. Full circle. Uh, so, yeah she's she was also part of that and so Good but hey her. hey thorndike thorndike hall is has been changed yeah okay so it's all better no this is like this is the thing that like these institutions particularly these like hoity-toity like new england institutions and californian institutions are super invested in their reputations. They are old as hell. They play by 1800s rules and all of their mechanisms go into protecting that reputation. And again, I think we, I, I mentioned this when we talked about the um, was it the Harvard professor who recently got canned and everyone signed that letter. And then the provost mm-hmm. re- released all of the information on the case, and every like all but three people retracted their signatures. <laughs> like you would, you would have so much better PR if you were actually doing something about this. If there were mm-hmm. actual teeth, you would have students who would look at that and go, "Oh, this university's taking it seriously. They're not." just in it for their own reputation they're in it to protect the students and not mm-hmm. these predators and not these people who are engaging in unethical behavior mm-hmm. but that's not where their mind is their mind is all pr yep they're playing old money rules right and, and which works because they are old money these big institutions right, no. are <laughs> old money <laughs> If they want to keep their endowments and they want to keep their money flowing in, they need to not uh, disrupt the sensibilities of the old money. And the old money don't care what poor people do to each other. 
Yeah, it's um it's a it's a bunch. Like it's um they they talk about other students because she's sort of like because this was this is 2021. This is last September. Um when this this article was published in the Columbia Spectator. Uh and she's highlighting other students who are going through similar problems and like things like um let's see. Similar to Moon, Lucy described her experience with Columbia's Title IX office as, quote, absolutely awful. She was unable <laughs> she was unable to get a meeting with the office for over a month after her assault, and when she did, she felt that her experience was invalidated. Quote, being in that environment, like the Title IX environment, can set you back so much and make you feel like a burden to the university staff, which is absolutely ridiculous and makes you feel like you're making a false accusation. Mm-hmm. the way that the representative framed it was putting a lot of the responsibility on her uh, and acting as though the perpetrator was the victim. It was really weird. It was like the roles were reversed. And it's, yep. it's just, it's just pages of that. I'm going to, I'm going to put the link. This is from the, uh, the web archive, um, the Wayback machine kind of like, keep what it looked like when it was published um and yeah and like i mean at least good on the good on the spectator for keeping mm-hmm. up with with that information cuz i'm sure <laughs> um yeah they say here the university actually needs to listen we have an archive now of columbia's systematic failure to adequately respond to sexual violence but the university doesn't want to do anything about it as we see on the bargaining calls with the graduate workers Said, <laughs> we can get this article we can get this article out but what's going to happen and that's mm-hmm. kind of the same thing that i feel with a lot of these like big name people that are it's coming out that they're being you know they're being hit with plagiarism like it's it'd be you know it'd be, it'd be different if someone came and said look this 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 thing you published in 2015 daniel it's we've got some some like issues with some of the methodology and i can go look back and go like no like it's probably not going to replicate as well as i would like it's probably Mm -hmm. there's there's always flaws um but i would be shocked if they found plagiarism or anything like that but also like i will own up to my mistakes on something like that Mm -hmm. or i will i will address them much like the authors that 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 you brought up that they look Mm -hmm. like they're they're all in on wanting to fix the issue Realizing that there was a problem there that wasn't caught, that something that could be addressed. Yeah, um, but we're not seeing no, that with uh, some of these other cases. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, if someone, if somebody grabbed my like 2015 article and they were like, Thomas, this isn't good, I'd be like, my dear friend, nothing an undergraduate puts out is good. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Right. If somebody's like Thomas, this book you published last semester, it's got plagiarism in it. Like the oh, fuck, it does not. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. And and again, like part of that problem with that like undergraduate or like early grad paper that might need like a good replication. We should be oh, replicating. Yeah. We should be replicating more. But good luck getting that replication published. Oh yeah, you so, gotta have that and your twist. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, and even then, you might not get it published. Oh, yeah. Well, that's kind of the thing that like drives me crazy about the way social media is set up. And this is happening with research, too, in our example, is that like any one paper becomes or any one post becomes a representation of you right here, right now, yeah. rather than that arc of right. research. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you look at a researcher's first like five papers, 10 papers, like it probably was good enough to get published. Like I'm not going to like dump on the quality, but they are not the same researcher that wrote that paper 10 years ago. Right. And if they are methods change, <laughs> if they are, <laughs> then we're probably getting into the realm of where like plagiarism starts like showing its head and, and these other things and like we, skipping corners and like because there's a difference between like i am learning and i know better mm -hmm. 10 years later versus no 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 this is just how i do things because i always get away with it and i'm prominent mm -hmm. now so screw you right so yeah i i will i will mention to this too and which which kind of adds some um concern is that uh, there are some libraries that are going to keep this book on hand because it is it's in hundreds mm -hmm. of libraries around the country but mm -hmm. um in this 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 uh blog by the the falve um falve memorial library blog and they're at villanova university um they mentioned that they they're going to keep it on the shelves but it's going to come with a statement of retraction mm. so that they can use it um basically saying that they, they don't recommend like just deleting it outright they want the record that it's been retracted they want to use it to um so there's going to be like a retraction note at the front of the book um and but it's only going to be like so this is the other question it's only going to be for those books checked out at the library so if you interlibrary loan it from this library you don't get that note mm. So I gotcha. See, that would be maybe this is like a librarian like fantasy slash dystopia. But like, do you think we'll move into a situation where we have a centralized national library that in satellite libraries, or do you think they'll stay independent? Or I don't know how that would work. Maybe we need to talk about get some librarians back on and talk about futurism. Well, I, and part of the problem is is the way the funding system is set up. It's much like universities. Like we could have a centralized hub university with a bunch of satellites around the country, but that means that like the government has to pay for universities again, and mm -hmm. the federal government don't pay for your li most of your libraries. Your local right, your, your yeah. local government pays for it, and which means that your libraries are typically underfunded. Um, it's much of the same situation that more and more of the mm -hmm. cost is being put on to um to to people who refuse to like pay you know 0.002% more on their taxes to help fund their local library despite the fact that they use it regularly um i will say that that their main rationale for retention is pretty weak in my opinion it is mm -hmm. uh the main rationale for retention was the integrity of the academic publication record tyranny of the week is widely cited and scholars should still be able to consult it it's a plagiarized work no 
in my opinion. It is not a valid work anymore. And if you've consulted mm-hmm. it, you maybe need to think about your sources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a good artifact. Yes. I agree. It is an artifact to be preserved. It is no longer a source. But it, it at the very least, like if it's if it's widely paraphrased and and plagiarized from this other work, why not just promote the other work? Right. The the book that it copied from. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's some words in there, but like there's some other things. Like in the course of paraphrasing, he made more mistakes. But anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. Well, huzzah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, at least in this one, I, I will say, you know what? There was a good ending. He is no longer a professor at Columbia University. Um, and I, I tried to look him up. I don't don't really see that. I'm not sure what he's doing now, because there's no there's there's been no updates in the last two years to anything. Like his Wikipedia is not mm-hmm. updated, and his Wikipedia updated really quick on the uh, what's it called on on like the plagiarism issues. Yeah, I mean, let's see. He doesn't really have anything, any recent videos. Oh, here we go. No, that's 2016. He was at the Wilson Center. So, like, he was definitely doing, like, foreign policy stuff. Um, no, there's, there's not a whole lot uh, of additional, like, updated information. So it does look like he's been laying low for the last couple of years which probably wise yes yes definitely um but yeah yeah um oh wow his estimated net worth is is over a million (laughs) dollars but i don't know how accurate it is like it's garbage looks like a garbage website but anyway um no i can't find anything new on him um despite like just nothing nothing past 2020 um, and so, yeah. Um, so maybe I guess happy ending with this situation that you have someone who plagiarizes, you've got someone who um, has some allegations thrown out there, and they resign. They're not going to sit around and fight mm-hmm. it. They're not going to argue cancel culture. They're not going to fight that they're totally not doing anything wrong or that it was mm-hmm. a mistake. And I accidentally submitted the draft instead of the final <laughs> paper. Um, so, and yeah. I think the best news of all is that Columbia has a major thorn in its side with this grad student union. So they just they just can't win against their students, can they? Like, keep getting told how much we need students at our universities and. They just kind of like it's the it's the old money, it's the old blood mentality of like you need us, we don't need you, and I do know a lot of people. We need you to keep the lights on and paying the workers, (laughs) right, right. And so, um, I mean, there are a lot of universities that are coming around to that. That like, wait a second, Mm -hmm. it turns out 
if we facilitate a toxic environment and hire terrible people and don't offer any accountability, things get worse. But <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe that ties back to what we talked about last week in regards to like, well, the people at the top, the people running the show are not there as long as the people who are teaching in the classrooms. And mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> it's easier yep. to hand wave stuff off and push stuff off for the future if you're top dog. Right, because you're only going to be there three years, five years. Right. Or if you're yeah, uh, like, yeah. I have to spend a lot of time with policy and procedure to make sure that my classroom runs well. <laughs> right? I have to put more thought into those interactions and those rules and like policies and guidelines and people above me have to because they can set it all on fire and leave. So, I guess on that, that's not really a high note. On that lower note. Yeah, a fire analogy probably isn't great right now because we're in the apocalypse at the moment. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got a fire outside of town. The time yeah. of this recording. So, well, I guess with that, I'll, I, will, I will bring us to our conclusion. Our positive conclusion mm. with our bias of the week. Huzzah! So all good things come to an end, and good endings with the bias of the week. Maybe not last week. Last uh, last week was a little depressing. Uh, <laughs> I'm on a roll. Uh, this bias of the week is the recency illusion. Okay. Uh, Zwicky 2006. It's the illusion that a word or language usage is a recent innovation, when in fact it's long established. And, I have the perfect example of this that I learned last night. Go for it. The word dildo <laughs> is from the 15th century and it has not changed you know, to I, this day. I had no idea what to expect. <laughs> but no, Shakespeare uses the word. It, it, Shakespeare used it, but he was not the originator. It's older oh, than him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of the, the chapter I got to write on uh, Rule 34 in fan culture. Mm-hmm. And I got to cite like Greek and Roman art and sculpture as examples of like the earliest like it goes earlier than that but as Mm -hmm. like good examples of how like mythology was turned into smut ah smut (laughs) so that's good that's cool i was also thinking about this in relation to retractions because I, i think we maybe need to update this into like a retraction uh illusion that this idea that a retraction is less impactful or is relatively new. But more often than not, we're mm. talking about these retractions from 15, 20, 60 years ago. Right. And they have these long well, established concepts and works that are finally being addressed now. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
Right on. Start with beans, end with dildos. It's a, a lot in between. It's a good stream of consciousness episode. So. <laughs> and, I, and I guess with that, we will bid our listeners farewell. Good night. Bye, everyone. <laughs>